Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, listeners, to Iron Radio. Hey, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just adding a little uh, preface here. This episode spans five states and many people, and you're going to have some audio fluctuations and that sort of thing to deal with. So uh, if the audio is too much at certain times, you could fast forward uh, to the second half of the show or pan back and forth, whatever you need to do, or, or even wait for next week if you have to. But there's some good information here, so if you can um, – Hang with us here on some of these uh, tech issues while we made this happen. Uh, it's much appreciated. Hi, everybody. We are here again with another action-packed episode of Iron Radio. This is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach, powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, all that. Lonnie's on the road today. Um, we got John. John, announce yourself. Yeah, Dr. John Mike here. So uh, we got some new fancy headphones, a headset in, and I look like I'm getting ready to take some fast food orders. And um, so burgers sound pretty damn good. It's a nice, lovely day outside, and it's already in the low 80s here in the Midwest, and it's just going to get hotter. Yeah, it's, it's a sweaty 80s, too. It's The air is thick, at least here, not far from you. So, Yeah. Cool. Um, huh, we just got some news. Like I said, Lonnie is away at the ISSN down in Clearwater, Florida, so I think he's going to add some stuff on, too. But we're going to hit, sadly, there's a couple deaths in the industry. Um, Strength and muscle sport news. First one, of course, Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Um, the, the greatest of all time within boxing, many would argue. Yeah, what a legend. I mean, just a, just a legend he was. I mean, and, and I don't, it's hard to really imagine one singular person. I mean, obviously there there are many, but just how how one person just inspired and influenced so many lives and so many generations over the course of several, you know, decades. Yeah. Um, you know, so I mean he certainly obviously inspired everybody and and, and not really just in boxing and in in life and just in every, every single sport. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. He was 74. Um he's from he's actually from my hometown, Louisville, Kentucky. Um so um, there was a big uh, funeral session yesterday on TV, and uh, you know a bunch of uh, you know celebrity speakers and stuff, and his family spoke, and um, it was at the stadium, and it was you know it's you know, obviously a big deal, and then um, but yeah, just uh, you know what a what a inspiration he was. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it's not. I mean, it's seventy four is getting up there. So yeah. it's, I mean, not to say it's good that he died. But at least he wasn't like in his forties. Yeah. We see these you know, young people passing away and stuff like that. He had a nice long life, and especially for getting hit as many times as he did. I mean, he had health issues. Yeah. Um, so, but anyways, you know, we'll we'll all say goodbye to, to Muhammad Ali. But um, and then what? Chris Moore from Barbell Shroud. I read that he like just suddenly passed away, and his new home in Amsterdam had a heart failure. Um, yeah, I didn't. Um, I didn't. I didn't know him, um, but uh, I, people were posting online, and yeah, what a uh, what a sad situation that was. I mean, we don't really see that, you know, very often, and um, you know, uh, a young life, you know, to lose. Oh. Yeah, so I think he was like thirty six and had young kids. Yeah. Uh, but and the, the weird thing is, I mean, they said he was just got. Just had a doctor's appointment and got commended for being in great health because he'd lost a bunch of weight. When he was lifting and powerlifting, he was like 375 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, and that's what I'm seeing a lot of people posting, like, being 375, it doesn't matter if you're strong, it, it, it wears on you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, I've definitely made that argument with, with people before. Um, yeah, and I think that's um, one of the reasons why... You know, for at least, at least for powerlifters, and I would say this, I would actually say the same thing for um, strongman competitors. It, I mean, unless you're, you know, people like Brian Shaw and those types of guys. I mean, those are obviously exceptions because they're just genetically so huge. 
But mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's it's not helpful to stay you know three hundred plus pounds, um, you know three twenty five, three thirty, three sixty, whatever, all year long. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you need to. It, it helps you just kind of lean down a little bit, like around. It's about February of March of uh, 2015. I was a little over 300. And, um, I mean, I was strong, but I had a little bit more body composition. And I was also had a lot of stress because I was trying to finish my dissertation. But I've had a few setbacks here in the last month. So, you know, I dropped a, you know, leaned down a little bit, um, you know, this spring. And so I usually float comfortably between 290 and 295. And usually if I'm prepping for a contest, you know, I don't like to be well over and above like 300. I like to be maybe, you know, solid 300, maybe 302, just because of, you know, more advantage and more leverage. But, you know, during the off season, I mean, it's, just, it's helpful to kind of get lean down. I mean, even just five pound body weight differences is, is, is a huge difference. Um, mm-hmm. And just think about just daily life tasks and just getting up and moving around and picking things up and walking and all that type of stuff. And it's, it's helpful for your body. Yeah. Yep. No, that's it. I mean, I'm I'm injured now, of course, but I'm down 25, 25, 30 pounds. Yeah. You know, I plan on going back up again, but, you know, in the meantime, and I, I do that, I sway up and down 25, 30 pounds. Um, there's a difference between when I'm getting ready to get on the platform. Yep. You know? And honestly, I mean, for me, it's also just when I'm at my strongest, daily life feels the worst. Right. You know? It's like... Oh man, there's another flight of stairs. Okay, okay, here we go. I mean, but but at that same time, like the three main lifts feel amazing. Mm-hmm. But anyways, condolences to his family and uh, and things like that. But let's get on this doping thing. Yeah, I saw. Um, it was uh, Friday actually that Maria Shapova, she's a pro tennis player, she mm-hmm. just got suspended for two years for uh, doping. And gosh, Phil, I just. I am so shocked. I got to lie. I got to lie down. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I think that's one of the things that a lot of people when it comes to performance enhancing drugs and, and the overwhelming majority of people, and and I don't mean this to be, you know, cynical or or critical, but most people are just uneducated about it and they're just not very informed, Mm -hmm. um, you know, very well. And for some strange reason, most people think that those that use performance enhancing, you know, substances are either Tour de France or, you know, um, those that are involved in strength sports or, you know, some bodybuilding. But I mean, they extend uh, well above and beyond just strength sports. I mean, now we got tennis players, you know, soccer, you know, and they're they're just they're in all sports. And, and you know, drugs have been around since the 60s. I mean, you're not going to change it if, if you look at I mean, the, the freaking um you know, French Open or U.S. Open for tennis every year. I mean, it's like the finals is like a three-hour match. I mm-hmm. mean, you're going to be out there for three hours and, you know, heat and humidity and take some breaks. And, you know, you're going to do that, you know, year-round and, and expect to perform, you know, at your top and at your best continuously. You know, yeah. so I think, you know, and, and I'm not saying what she's doing is, is okay. I'm just saying that, you know, people have to understand that that's just – you know, part of what people feel that they have to do at that level to, you know, um, compete. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't, I don't really know, um, like the details and I don't know if she's going to be getting fined or, um, but yeah, I think she's on a two, she's on a two year suspension. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, on top of that, we've got the, the, uh, weightlifting, I mean, that, uh, Olympic committee has went back. So the whole story I got was this, that a couple of Russians turned coat. And went to WADA and the International uh, Olympic Committee and told them, hey, the Russians have been, you know, doing drugs, this and that, and told them all about the system. So with that, they decided to throw money at retesting. Um, So they they threw enough money to retest 700 people across the games. So far, what I've heard is 54 have been popped um, from those 700 tests. So now they're like, oh, fuck, we're going to throw more money at it but as of yet i mean you're talking a lot of people getting stripped of world records and gold medals um like one of the favorites in weightlifting uh for for many people that are fans of it illin uh, he got he got popped for i think he got they got him on all three samples they tested i think um going back to beijing london 
in the world championships, and he's just he's crushed everybody the last since since Beijing, mm-hmm. and uh, they're stripping him of medals, and he can't go to Rio. Um, and then what? There was three more. I think three more Russian weightlifters. So far, I think it's 20 in weightlifting alone that have been popped. Yeah. But uh, at least two more um, Russians that are getting stripped of medals, silvers and, and bronzes and whatnot, and, and a world record holder in Lavchev. Um, yeah, so it's not looking good. I don't know. I'm split on this issue. Mm-hmm. Um it, it's another nail in the coffin for weightlifting. It's kind of a sport that, you know, I think the Olympic Committee has been kind of down on a little bit anyways because it doesn't have the best viewership. And now with 20 people popped in a short amount of time, uh, it, it could be tough. I mean, it might go the way of what they tried to do to wrestling. So yeah. um, that's a bad thing there. And I don't know. I mean, it, they might be hurting themselves if they throw millions of dollars and just go back and test everybody because it would look, bad on them if literally like they test everybody from like the last four olympics and hundreds get popped mm-hmm. you know it's like and that's just looking bad on their own system i mean you're you're admitting fault which I, I can see that as as a right thing i mean any professional can admit when they were wrong but as a games it's like it's just showing the world just how jacked up the system is i know right you know and it's like why are we even doing it at this point um or, I mean, like one of the Russian ladies that got got uh, popped came out, and she's like, what I don't understand is the average everyday person can can take all these supplements, but we can't, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, her argument was was a pretty good one. It's like the media even kind of forces it on them because nobody wants to see, nobody wants to go to every Olympics and see the same times ran or slower. You know, everybody always wants to see bigger, stronger, faster. Yep. You, you want to see world records broken. You want to see sub nine, uh, sub ten second hundreds. You want to see, you know. And if 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 we just knew, hey, we're at our peak, you're going to see the same crap every year. Yeah, that that is a, that is a really good point. Like how the average people can take all these type of supplements, and then athletes who take similar or different variations, or you know, condone in the, in the sense, or just I mean, not condone, but just you know, uh, vilified, you know, whatever. Well, and it's also under the, the, the pretext that the Olympics are supposedly amateur and I'm sorry, they're not, you know, they haven't been for a long time. People doing these things, they are professional athletes, especially in other countries. They're usually funded and what they do year round for four years straight, they're getting ready to, for the games. You know, they don't have real jobs. Exactly. You know, this is anything but amateur. I mean, and I can totally understand you know, NCAA, yep, test the hell out of them. You know, they are amateurs. They're student-athletes. They're young. Mm-hmm. Um, high school, blah, 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 all that. But, I mean, hey, I'm almost to the point where, man, it's the Olympics. Let's let them, have, let's let them do it. Yeah, people, <laughs> oh. if people think, well, whoever's on the most drugs will win. Uh, no, 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 no. That's far from the truth right there. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, we're, we're at that point, too, where, and I think we always will be, that, sure, these guys are getting popped, but how many are, aren't because they're on something that the – you know, the drugs are ahead of the testing. Yeah, and we, I know. Uh, and um, oh. speaking of uh, Maria Shapova's case, I was just um, I was looking at it, and she was she um, tested positive for a drug called meldonium, which I I really don't know that much about, but uh, it's believed to um, work through to increase um, vasodilation, so size increased size of blood vessels and improve blood flow. Um, and you know, and that's fine and everything, but. <laughs> So that's what she was tested positive for. So it's 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 really way down on the list of mm-hmm. it's on the list of banned substances, but it's not one of those common ones. Um, and who knows what else you know she she may have been taking. But I mean, hey, if, you know, I mean, I don't you know in, vasodilation and increases in blood flow. I mean, you can get the same or similar. I'm not going to say the same, but you can get similar responses by. Um, actually taking some freaking baby aspirin before you go yeah. train um, yeah. and increase the size of you know, vasodilation <laughs> and, and, and blood flow and pumps. I mean, I've done yeah. that before several times. I mean, there's other substances, um, supplements that you can take. You know, so, I mean, it's all, it's, it's, never, it's never cut and dry. It's never black and white. And so we'll just kind of, uh, you know, see. It could have been, um, you know, and a lot of times, Athletes can test positive for things that 
maybe they take some type of, you know, maybe they're sick or maybe they take some type of code remedy and mm-hmm. the substance in those code remedies or whatever it is might be on the list and, and they may test, you know, a positive, um, you know, when, when maybe they shouldn't have been, you know, so there, yeah. there's just, it's never a black and white issue and the testing is never cut and dry. Well, I mean, what are they going to do now? Like at this in Rio, are they going to announce, okay, you're a gold medal winner until 12 years from now we retest, and then maybe you're not. Yeah, you know, that's kind of uh, that's that's pretty iffy to me. You know, at least when they changed over and banned all this stuff, they they did the shift in weight classes and weightlifting at least, and like everybody kept their stuff, but they just okay, we got new weight classes now. But I don't know, man. It's it's a sticky situation. But yeah, as far as I know, no Americans were were popped. Um, Apparently, she'd been using it for like about the last ten years. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's just it's it's you know we could talk about it all day long, but it's just you got to laugh at it too. Oh. Yeah, and it's it'll be interesting. I mean, last I knew, the Russians had three or four athletes popped this year at competitions. And reading the rules, as far as I know, if three are if three get caught in a year, they can ban the whole team. Mm-hmm. So now we've got this, you know, and this is 14 more athletes from different sports, including 10 medal winners, two of them in weightlifting. It's, it's looking pretty bad. The only positive we could take from it is if all these freaking people get banned, we got a shot, man. Right, <laughs> I know, right? So eliminate, we your, might, eliminate your competition. <laughs> right. We might take a bronze. But, I mean, it's funny. At the same time, I mean, I, like, I know Sarah Robles personally, and you see these people getting popped for, you know, methadione and blah, 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 you know, actual performance-enhancing drugs. And at the same time, you know, we banned one of our own athletes for two years for going to Walgreens and taking DHEA. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty crazy, but the, the differences. But, um, yeah, so... I don't know. What other than that? What what have you been up to? I traveled the last couple weekends. I spoke at um, Paleo FX with a good buddy Mike T. Nelson, who's also a co-host of the show, and um, and then I was in New Jersey last weekend. Um, I actually had um, it masqueraded as a back problem, but it wasn't a back problem. I ended up going to see um, you know my good friend uh, Dr. Perry Nicholson of Stop Chasing Pain when I was in New Jersey and. I just had some deep core stabilization issues. Um, you know, my pelvic floor wasn't very stable and I uh, had a lot of trigger points I had to release. So, you know, diaphragm and, uh, you know, around the belly button and the psoas area. So I've just been doing, you know, some, um, you know, working and stabilized pelvic floor and some crawl patterns and it's been working phenomenally. And I only, I only trained, um, really light this past week, a couple of days and, uh, this next week though, I can start to, ram it up a little bit you know and that's something else that i think is important to say and um athletes are just you know we're athletes we train and no matter what sport it is we're just notorious compensators um Mm -hmm. you know and when you have all these you know subsystems and um you know fascial lines that that get um compromised over time either because of trigger points or you know muscle facilitation or inhibition you know where where one um, you know, system fails, another one has to come into play to help out. Well, when that, you know, when that fails, it's like it kind of, it's kind of a, a, a vicious cycle. And so, you know, when your body doesn't have stability, um, you know, it, it really, um, you know, makes your nervous system kind of go ape shit, and it'll put the brakes on strength and power output and, and intrinsic core stability. So, um, you know, and I think it's important to kind of for people to really do those deep core stabilization things, you know, whether it's, you know, strengthening mm-hmm. pelvic floor or rectus ab or especially like TVA, transverse abdominis. Um, and people don't realize just how valuable those little muscles are. I mean, and even if you take something like the QL or quadratus lumborum, you know, or lateral flexor and, you know, forward flexion, um, you know, some of the, some of these muscles are just really, really small, but they do so much and they're so powerful. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, the point is, I think it's important for everybody to really get, you know, assessed um, and a lot of times, too, you know, those that are just normal, you know, average trainees, I mean, it's also helpful for them to get assessed. But at the same time, you know, uh, most people don't train at, at a high level and high threshold to have these kind of issues come up, um, mm-hmm. you know, over time, you know. So, um, I mean, I wasn't injured. It was just, I mean, it was a, it was an injury. But it was more like a, a stabilization issue that kind of masqueraded as a as a as a back issue because when you don't have any 
deep core stabilization, what happens is that your body can actually put your bones together to make it more stable um, mm-hmm. because you don't have any surrounding musculature to, 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 to help you with that. So um, I'll be ramping it up again starting about this next week and because uh, I was, I was um, in line to do a contest this summer in late July, so that's kind of not happening now. <laughs> um, but there's one here um, in St. Louis in early August, so we'll see how things go and um, – and go from there so yeah and we've all seen those people it's a fine line man yeah. you've i've seen the people that like they're in the gym for three and a half hours and like uh, three hours of that is <laughs> mobility work yeah you know they're on the way far end of the spectrum it's like oh, okay at some point you need to load the bar um sure. but then there's the opposite i mean it's trying to find that balance i mean you know i've been guilty in the past of just I mean, just load it up man i'm okay let's do it mm-hmm. and, and things come back and bite you but um yeah, so it's fine that balance. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, with mobility work. I mean, I actually um, had more mobility than I had deep core stability, even though I was doing, you know, half kneeling chops and lifts and, you know, some Turkish get ups and stuff. But I didn't have, it's like you're trying to build a house, you know, um, with not a lot of bricks. <laughs> um, yeah. So the, the support structure can only hold so long. But there's nothing yeah. wrong with mobility work. It's just if, if you're unable to control it, with stability, mm-hmm. with stability, it's not doing you much good. Yeah. Um, so um, now, I mean, and since I've been doing those things, I mean, I haven't been aching. I haven't been anything. I mean, it's just it's been awesome. We will probably call this our commercial break here and see what Lonnie can add on. Um, I think he's down down there with uh, Mike, isn't he? Yeah, he's Thanks. down there with Mike Nelson, and uh, they're at the ISSN conference in Clearwater this year, and. Um, so yeah, be uh, definitely interested to see what they have to say and what they have to add about uh, sports nutrition and uh, any type of, you know, supplements. So uh, yeah, it's always good stuff. Yeah, if anybody has a chance to make it down to one of those, I've been to one and it's a great conference. It's very much more professional than say the Olympia or the Arnold. Right. Uh, <laughs> but it's a it's a good good one to go to to, to learn some stuff. So everybody, um, go to barbellopen.com, sign up. You got to register and then pick your sport. Um, other than that. We will toss you over to Lonnie and Mike, and we will talk to you next week. Hey, listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety Uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit uh, royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So – Uh, Whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Weekly Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, 
We are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, everyone, we are back. Um, actually, we have Corey Van Wyk uh, and Sean Casey uh, on the show with us, and uh, the, those guys are still on the road coming home from the International Society of Sports Nutrition Conference. Uh, I'm sure Phil alluded to that earlier in the show when they did the news. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're just going to sort of talk shop a little bit about um, what happened at the ISSN and that sort of thing and and then segue into um, some dietary supplement company uh, information. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, some conferences, in fact, most these days, I think, have an expo that's sort of part and parcel of what they do. And Sean actually had a booth there at ISSN, so we'll ask him a, a few things as well. But let's let's start with this here. Um, how about takeaways from the meeting itself, Corey? Maybe let's start with you. So maybe just reintroduce yourself, and then you know anything you want to offer about what you saw at the meeting. Yeah. So uh, my position is I'm a strength and conditioning coach and a exercise science teacher. Um, at a college called Northwestern College in Northwest Iowa, um, so that's kind of kind of what I do. Uh, overall takeaways from the conference, um, I thought this year that it was a lot more applied than it had been in the past. Whereas you know a couple years ago or even last year, the uh, the talks were all very very you know everyone was a supplement. They are very uh, more basic science oriented, whereas this year there was a lot more applied stuff where they're bringing in trainers, coaches. So we had uh, more strength and conditioning coaches uh, and trainers kind of giving more of that side and applied nutrition. And some were even uh, exercise-based, like with, uh, with there was one that was a core training. Um, so I thought that was really refreshing. And uh, it was good to hear um, people who were putting this nutrition knowledge into practice and, and to see how they did it. Yeah, no, I get that. Um, Sean, how about you? Uh, what did anything, uh, I know that a lot of the time you were at your booth and whatnot, but uh, learn anything or have any cool hallway conversations or anything like that? You know, uh, uh, introducing myself, I'm Sean Case. I'm a registered dietitian, uh, sports nutritionist, and also strength conditioning coach. Um, but some of the uh, more interesting uh, hallway conversations that I had uh, we're stemming around the idea of nutrigenomics. Um, you know, and they're at the point now where it looks like uh, we're able to, you know, really kind of test out your genes based off saliva and seeing, you know, if you are or are not a responder to a given thing. You know, the, the perfect example they use is, you know, like caffeine. You have your responders, non-responders. Uh, you know, I remember I was talking to people in the hallway. Myself, personally, I'm a non-responder to caffeine. I can take... 400 plus and it barely even affect you know touches me type deal so um, I thought that was one of the big things uh, discussions that people were having in the hallways on yeah I, I, I know that we've had that conversation before right oftentimes with sports nutrition or any kind of research you, you end up having uh, breaking down data like with the coffee work we've done in the past we've done oh well let's look at this in just boys versus girls in case they're different you know or just habituated uh, caffeine users versus naive you know people uh, but it, that's almost crude i think you know by comparison when we can start doing this in specific gene pools for this to have any kind of external validity though or you know to actually help people i guess um, people will have to know which gene pool they're in. I mean, because you know if you're a boy or a girl, I think most people do, you know, or, but you might not know what gene profile you have. And, you know, but I, I do right. see that, right? Wouldn't that be weird that we, we're moving toward a point where, you know, you're only, you know, if you're interested in applying this to yourself, like Corey was saying, you know, actual application, um, Right. You almost have to qualify it by yep. I'm I have these particular genes, this study applies to me. You know. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, but you know, the flip side of that is if you don't know, then you could be looking at a study like you, Sean. Maybe a lot of studies, they don't even pertain to you because, you know, you don't respond very well. And when you take an average of 20 guys, you know, let's say half of which are responders, other half that aren't, maybe maybe those studies don't apply to you much anyway, you know, because we're just trying to take averages on people. And I just I think that's going to change and become more specific. I think that's a good point. Yeah. You know, and I, I think... Uh... I remember you and I were uh, discussing this ourselves in the hallway, um, too, is, you know, the, the nutrigenomics, but along with that, the gut micro, microbiome, and, you know, how we're really just scratching the surface uh, uh, of that aspect, and, you know, how a lot of advancements in human health, you know, in the next 15 to 20 years could very well stem from a better understanding of our gut health. Yeah, I think... That's true. That's also true. There, were, I didn't see any like new data on gut health and that sort of stuff. In fact, you know what? This just being very fair because you know I um, I've been around the ISSN since the beginning, and I count a lot of those guys as my friends. Uh, but I didn't feel like I walked away with a huge amount of new discovery stuff. Things like Corey said felt a little more applied, a little bit more. Um, almost tutorial like, you know, like maybe yeah. maybe maybe more geared toward. Uh, the coaches and trainers, as opposed to some of us who have have seen some of this in the last couple of years, and it's it's a little less new. Maybe that sounds a little yeah, elitist, yeah. but I would, de- well, I would definitely agree with that. Um, just like as an example, you know, Sean, I thought Sean Arndt did a really good job. Uh, he he did a talk on nutrient timing, and he he just made a really good point about how like us in. Uh, you know, fitness or strength, conditioning, nutrition. We are just very extremist, or tend to be extremist. So he kind of highlighted how a few years ago, nutrient timing was super, super important, and we all thought it was really critical, or, or many people did. And kind of since you know, Brad Schoenfeld did his post-exercise window kind of analysis. And the findings that came out of that, everyone kind of flipped the other side. Oh, you know, it doesn't matter at all. And I, I don't think that was his intent with that paper. And But <laughs> Sean was like, okay, um, let's kind of bring this back to center. And first of all, realize that nutrient timing is about a lot more than protein. And with, with athletic populations, there's so many other factors that you have to take into account, like... You know, how consistently are they eating? When is their next competition? When is their next training? How long have they been training? Uh, and that nutrient timing, what you do with that nutrient timing is based off of all those different factors. And it's, it goes way beyond just protein. Um, and he made a good point of, okay, so maybe this post-workout window isn't necessarily a window like we've been thinking, like this 30 to 45 minute time frame. Maybe it's more like a big garage door where this, this heightened MPS response to exercise, if we give protein, that effect is much maybe much longer than we thought. But why wouldn't you try to get as many feedings in that time frame as possible from a recovery standpoint, especially if you know, you're an in-season athlete or even off-season when you're training maybe five days a week? You've got to take advantage of that as much as humanly possible to maximize recovery. And then in season, uh, he made a good point about the teams who win by the end of the year are the ones that are less broken down. And that that nutrition, that plays a huge role. You know, that's uh, that was actually my strategy when I was the sports nutritionist for one of the big universities here in Ohio. Uh, my whole plan was just based on, you know, glutamine levels fall, glycogen stores fall, all this stuff, injuries go up and people start to overtrain. My whole strategy was let the other teams fall apart. And if I can keep my teams from not falling apart, you almost will start to win by default. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. don't even have to be better per se, just don't fall apart. Uh, yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. You know, the one thing I've always found working with athletes, you know, afterwards is, you know, a lot of athletes are somewhat creatures of uh, routine, and, you know, uh, you know, when they get done working out, you know, they somewhat still have that mindset of, like, you know, a workout base, you know, after workout, you know, being able to get nutrition in right away. And, you know, for myself, you know, a lot of times I don't, you know, I, it's not like I have very, I, you know, I can't control what they're eating all the other times of the day. 
but you know I do know if you know if I see them drink it you know be it a shake or something with me after their workout it's kind of like in my mind it's like a mental checklist like okay I know at least this meal was covered um, while they're still in kind of that training mindset before they you know go off they get distracted by whatever's going on and pretty soon it's you know an hour and a half later and they have Nika on their own no yeah totally yep um let's see uh oh i wanted to share something quickly uh as far as the talks go uh dawn anderson a friend of mine she's been on iron radio before she's a caffeine researcher i thought she gave a really good talk um and I just wanted to touch on that really quick. Oh, and you know what? Before I forget, this is chaotic, but we are going to have uh, Dave Barr and Anthony Almada on in a couple of weeks on the on Iron Radio, and they're going to specifically talk about nutrient timing, Corey. So they're going to talk about the, the breadth of that garage door because Dave Barr has actually been an opponent on some level of overzealous nutrient timing ideas, you know? So, <laughs> so that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Um, anyway, as far as Dawn... Yeah, uh, she. What I liked that came out of her talk was that, you know, I'm nodding my head. Anybody who does a lot of coffee or caffeine research, you can clearly see someone who's experienced at doing this because she's asking questions about, you know, how do we interpret? What do we not know? What are some of the things we have to be careful when we read these studies about pre workout, you know, supplements or coffee or caffeine? You know, for example, like. Typically in research, we ask everybody uh, whether they're going to eventually be in the placebo group or the real energy drink group or whatever. We have them abstain from coffee for 24 to 48 hours most of the time. Well, that's that's not really a, a good idea in a lot of ways. I know that people are trying to get it washed out, but you know you end up with a placebo group that's headachy and cranky, yeah. you know, and so the placebo group is actually subpar. Uh, and so, and it, and it goes beyond that too. What about anticipation? You know, she was talking about some of those issues too. And uh, I've seen the point made lately that you really need to have not just two groups, not just a placebo group and the and the supplement group, the caffeine group, but really you should have like four or five groups. You know, you need to have yeah, right, placebo, the real deal, the real supplement, but then a placebo, and you lie to the subjects and tell them it's a supplement. You know, or the yeah. flip side, you give them the real deal and lie and say it's a placebo, you know, or just water, like boring control group. Uh, but the problem with that is, uh, in, at least in a lot of smaller schools with limited budgets, yeah. they don't have enough bodies in time to. Right, of course. Yep. You know, but it was an interesting uh, talk that she gave. There was just lots of stuff. You know, like that, and the other one too. And I'm like, I wish I had, if I had pom poms, I'd be waving them in the air. <laughs> she was, she was talking about specificity, where, you know, we ask people, we always default to the Wingate bike sprint as the test, like for all anaerobic athletes. Well, that's offensive to a lifter. I mean, a 30 second all out effort is not what all of us do. You know, yeah, and no. So she was saying, you really got to get people, like if you're going to do a Wingate, do it in cyclists or do it in. And um, people who do tons of lower body work that would lend itself to that kind of a test, you know, and that's and the reason I, I would have the pom poms out, of course, is because all the stuff that I do is with benching and squatting, you know, instead yeah. of just yep. and and it's funny when you look at the literature because she came to the same conclusions that I have independently. We have not discussed this because we talk, you know, on occasion um, that it's very equivocal it's very back and forth whether or not caffeine does anything at all when you look at those bike sprints and her take on that was it's because exercise specificity is a thing you know if you're not trained to fire those bicycling motor pathways um you can't really cash in on it you know so the specificity thing i thought was really cool as well as the the washout and the placebo aspects but it does help you you know, the more you learn about this, it helps you apply this stuff to yourself. You know, when I look yeah, at these studies, absolutely. you know, I mean, let's face it. I mean, there's, I think there's a, even a, a role for open label, just toying around, you know, uh, just because in a real world setting, talk about external validity. I mean, when we take a pre-workout supplement or an energy drink or a couple of cups of coffee, we know we're doing it. You know, so it's, right. it's a combination of, of anticipation and the chemical. And so, yeah, this stuff is kind of hard to tease apart. And, I mean, scientists do their best to control these things. Uh, but sometimes there's that balance between 
internal validity, you know, you want to get something very accurate and measure what you intend to, but then external validity, you know, if it doesn't apply to anybody, what the hell are you doing? You know? Yeah, so, exactly. Anyway, it's interesting. But the, 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 for me, that was sort of a takeaway. But I wanted to ask either one of you guys your, your thoughts. There was a talk on Alpha GPC, and if you can maybe just talk about that a little bit, because I, I think uh, Sean even has that in one of his supplements, in his supplement line. But um, any thoughts on is, – is there anything new with this? Or what What's this supplement supposed to do? I figured I would just toss out that. Yeah, um the the presentation was uh, going down, and I remember originally when Alpha GPC uh, came out, they were really kind of looking at the, a mechanism from like uh, a human growth hormone standpoint. There was some uh, research kind of indicated may affect that aspect, uh, but you know, it, the kind of you know the mechanism they're looking at now has to do more with what's you know going on from a, a neuromuscular level. Um, because uh, alpha GPC uh, provides choline, uh, which is the uh, precursor for acetylcholine, um, which works in the neuromuscular junctions uh, pre- between nerves. Uh, and kind of the research, you know, it's still very early, very preliminary, uh, but looks like uh, from an athletic standpoint, it may be able to enhance uh, kind of like explosive type movements. He was talking about with vertical jumps, uh, some of their data looked interesting on that aspect um, and I know the other area where they were kind of looking at was uh, and I remember there's a 2003 paper uh, that stemmed off alpha GPC from a, like a cognitive health standpoint and I remember that specific paper showed some benefits you know as you're starting to get like um, mild to moderate dementia uh, they saw some benefits um, and that was kind of the areas that they were looking on, you know, again, kind of addressing the athlete from a holistic standpoint, you know, being able to concentrate under stress, stressful conditions, which you have in sporting events, um, as well as its direct impact on the physical um, performance side itself. Right. Yeah, that was my familiarity with that, too. I mean, early on, it was about growth hormone, but that doesn't seem to be where things are going now. I think a lot of powerlifters are interested in the nervous system and that sort of thing, of course, so you know, it, it, it sort of fits. If I can enhance my nervous system, it may help me with, you know, I, I may actually feel, you know, more uh, with it, you know, intellectually, and actually my peripheral nerves may work better, you know, and I may have better performance, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But uh, it, I don't know. It didn't seem like there was a ton of new findings, though. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I would agree 100%. It uh, I, I felt kind of the takeaway of it was preliminary stuff, uh, you know, a lot uh, more research really has to, to be done from it to kind of quantify some of these uh, effects in a, um, a more concrete level. One kind of interesting, I don't, I don't know how new it is, but I've always thought of Alpha GPC as a, you take it 30 to 45 minutes before training or competition and that its effects were very short-ish lived. And then he was doing a chronic dosing. So they would come in and um, do their pretest, and then they'd take the supplement every day for six days. Uh, and then they would come back in and, and do the testing. So that was just like an interesting pr- protocol. That was in, you know, From what I have seen and known about Alpha GPC, that was different from... You're going to get it, okay, we're going to see it 45 minutes later if you can jump higher, uh, whereas this was, the timing didn't really seem to be the focus. Yeah, that's a good distinction I think we all need to make with a lot of these supplements, right? Is it something acute like caffeine that's supposed to help now versus something that you're supposed to load or get some tissue saturation or, you know, right, that kind of thing. So The, the other thing from uh, the Alpha GPC, uh, which I was kind of interested in, was uh, the one study uh, he has where he, he kind of fished on the end with? He still has to, you know, finish uh, an- analyzing all the data. But they were comparing different doses of alpha GBC. I think there was a two hundred, or maybe a two hundred, two hundred or two fifty. Yeah, like a two hundred or two fifty, and then uh, a five hundred uh, milligram dose. Uh, and from what he sh- showed, it seemed like you needed the higher. It, it appeared that you needed the higher dose 
the kind of in the 500 plus range to really see the physiological benefit. Uh, but le- but like I said, I don't remember exactly all the bars on that. Uh, but I remember that was one of the things he kind of stressed at the end was it was it looked like it was the higher doses that were needed to at least get the the um, the physical uh, benefit from it. No, right on. Okay, I'll tell you what. Um, the connection and the audio quality and stuff today is driving me batty, so I don't want to um, drive too far into this, but let's switch gears quickly before we, we wind up today. I, I want to talk about your uh, dietary supplement company. And I, 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 readers know, or listeners know, this is not from an advertising standpoint, but um, it, in fact, we might have Sean on the show in the future because I think there are some misconceptions about how these things are done. But from a behind-the-scenes or a learning perspective, um like I said, you had a booth there. You know, you're kind of testing the waters in a lot of ways with this sort of stuff. But uh, I think a lot of listeners have have seen something like um, bigger, stronger, faster, and they're of the impression that this is a wild west, and almost anybody can sell dietary supplements and you know and that sort of thing. Um, like you know, whip them up on your kitchen table, sort of thing. Has that been your experience uh, with your company? Uh, not at all. <laughs> um, you know, there, there's definitely a lot more regulations uh, involved that, you know, uh, my business partner, Brian Fuggio, and I have been, like, by, you know, uh, um, really going through, like, you know, obviously, to have anything on the market, it has to be produced in, like, an FDA CGMP lab. Um, but, you know, beyond that, you have, like, your NSF certification, uh, certified labs, uh, your NPA certified labs. Um and it's much more stringent uh, with that type of stuff. Even like on your uh, supplement label, you know, things that you're allowed to say, uh, you know, even like some uh, like minor details, you know, uh, for instance, you know, as basic as, you know, creatine enhancing muscle, you know, muscle force production, you know, um, how you can kind of go about saying any sort of the claims. Um, but like I said, it, it, it's definitely a much more stringent process than what it was kind of portrayed, you know, in the bigger, uh, stronger, faster movie. Yeah. Would you suggest that having an education, like actually going to university for exercise physiology and nutrition and that kind of thing, has that benefited you in this whole process? Uh, I would say without a doubt. Um, you know, on a lot of levels – you know, the supplements all come down to, you know, um, being able to uh, understand the, the, the science and kind of at the, the basic levels. I mean, that's the thing. If you can make any supplement, um, but if it doesn't have the physiological effect, if you don't, if it doesn't, you know, have the physiological underpinnings on it, as well as kind of the real world research literature to support it, it's not going to be nearly as effective. Uh, so, so that's a big thing that is very helpful. And kind of the other kind of behind the scenes thing is how much time I. The one area I've really gained a sense of appreciation for is the uniqueness of everyone's taste buds. You know, um, you know, obviously, you know, I know mo- most powerlifters. Uh, you know, it's you know, you know, be it a pre workout or whatever, they'll take it. And, you know, as long as they could care less what it tastes like, they just want to get you know that you know ramped up effect. Um, but, you know, for people, let's just say they're taking a meal supplement where they're much more picky taste-wise, the uniqueness, like I said, the uniqueness of everyone's taste buds have, has been a learning experience with me. And then working with the food scientist uh, at the labs themselves, you know, on the flavoring aspect, uh, th- that's been a fun experience. Yeah, it's the kind of stuff I guess you almost have to work through that, like out, you know, in the field, in a commercial environment. You know, they're not always going to cover that kind of, those kind of gory details, but, you know, in school, and yet they matter so much, you know. Uh-huh, without a doubt. All right, I'll tell you what, everyone. We're going to we're gonna call it there this week. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week. I bumped into a few cool people uh, at the ISSN conference, and we're going to get them on. Uh, some of them are researchers, professors that are just itching to tell their stories about some of their new findings. Um, one of them is an, an old friend of mine uh, who is now the – director of research at EAS um, real straight shooter really quality guy also a bodybuilder um, so we're going to have some cool guests and whatnot coming on now but I think we're going to call it there so thanks guys for joining us yeah you bet and I uh, 
I guess I'll apologize for both of us if we said anything that was a little weird. We're on short sleep, Very as you know, Lonnie. <laughs> you know, driving in the short sleep. That's how conferences go, I guess. Yeah, no doubt. Well, and again, and I feel like apologizing for the audio because we are chasing him. You guys are in a car. God knows where you are on an interstate right now. So <laughs> right. making it happen. All right. Until next week, everybody. All right. Have a good one. Hey, listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.